I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I got the plague. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a fast-changing thing. Just a couple of hours ago, I sounded way worse than I do right now, so I'm glad that it cleared up for me to podcast. And we are social distancing by several miles, so that's that's good. We're keeping our distance. Uh, also joining us is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? I'm I'm glad that there's a couple state lines in between us. Just just keep things Ouch. keep things socially <laughs> socially nice over here. Yeah, nothing personal. We just want to keep our distance uh, and not be in the same room as you, <laughs> Matthew. Well, uh, regular listeners may have noticed we have not had a podcast episode in a while, and that's that's pretty much my fault. Uh, you know, life kind of got in the way. It was a busy summer. Uh, then I went on vacation, and Matthew went on vacation. Uh, but we're back now, and we fortunately, the Royals uh, have given us a lot to talk about. Uh, so we, we plan to have a pretty regular schedule, I think, from here on out. Uh, but we have a lot to catch up with today. Uh, the Royals last two months, you know, they talked about being transactional, and they kind of have been. I mean, they've made six trades in the last two months, uh, acquiring 12 new players. Uh, it's just a quick summary. They traded away Carlos Santana back in June to the Mariners for pitchers Wyatt Mills and William Fleming. They traded the 35th pick in the draft to the Atlanta Braves for three players, third baseman C.J. Alexander, outfielder Drew Waters, and pitcher Andrew Hoffman. And then this last week, they traded outfielder Andrew Benintendi to the Yankees for three pitchers, uh, Chandler Champlain, T.J. Sikama, and Beck Way. Uh, just uh, this week, they traded uh, Emmanuel Rivera to the Arizona Diamondbacks for pitcher Luke Weaver. Uh, and then on the uh, right before the trade deadline, they traded Whit Merrifield to the Toronto Blue Jays for infielder Samad Taylor and pitcher Max Castillo, and Cam Gallagher to the San Diego Padres for outfielder Brent Rooker. So those are a lot of deals. Uh, we'll get into the uh, specifics of some of those deals here in a minute. But Matthew, what was your kind of your overall impression on on just you know not just the trade deadline, but just what the Royals have done overall in the last kind of six weeks? Uh, were they transactional enough in your mind? So the short answer to that, in my opinion, at least is no. But I would at least uh, start off by saying. Uh, Whit Merrifield getting traded to the Toronto Blue Jays is the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I, the funniest thing, if you, the Onion would reject that, okay? That's how funny it is. I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but whatever. It's not my, you know, not my circus, not my monkey. Um, I think, you know, to the, to the Royals' credit, they have been more transactional um, than they have ever really been in the on the deadline. Uh, I don't really remember, you know, Max, you wrote an, an article about what they've done in the previous uh, couple of deadlines. Uh, and not a couple, you went back about 10 years or so. And um, this is like the most that they've ever done um, at a trade deadline um, in terms of volume um, and in trading, not just guys um, who have expiring contracts, but guys like Whit Merrifield um, and Cam Gallagher, who they had, you know, years of control with, um, even though Gallagher was was still on arbitration, um, they still had control. Um, so I think that was, you know, that was that was good to see. And also they were creative with that thirty fourth. Um, I think it was the thirty fourth pick. Um, their their competitive balance. I mean, getting Drew Waters uh, from Atlanta. Uh, Drew Waters has done really really well so far with the Omaha Storm Chasers. 
Um, in 73 play appearances so far, he is a WRC plus of 170. Um, he's hitting 317 um, with four home runs in just 16 games. He's he's doing really really well. He's walking a lot. He's striking out just about the same. So you got to hope that uh, for him at least, uh, Drew Waters and, and um, not Drew Waters, um, Andrew uh, Sailor and company uh, can you know retool his swing. And I think that's where some of the other um, you know, positivity comes from some of these moves is that the Royals farm system on the pitching side has been terrible, right? But on the hitting side, they've actually been really successful at turning guys who are, you know, maybe lower round guys into legitimate potential big leaguers. I mean, uh, you think about uh, Michael Massey wasn't a super high pick. You think about Nate Eaton wasn't a super high pick. Vinny was a 10th round pick. All those guys have made the major leagues, right? Um, Nick Prado and MJ Melendez turned their careers around um, under the supervision of the Royals hitting. Um, so overall, I think I'm more positive about the hitters that they have acquired than about the pitchers that they have acquired. Um, and overall, I think that they could have been more transactional. Um, you know, they should have traded Whitmerfield years ago, but, you know, better late than, than never, uh, I guess, for him. Um, I think they could have found a place for um, Scott Barlow, potentially in a package with Whit Merrifield. I think I would have, more than trading volumes of guys, I would have liked to see them try to package a couple of guys together to get a higher you know, tier prospect rather than the sort of shotgun approach that they've, they, uh, they've done recently, and that's kind of their approach. Um, I would have liked to see that, uh, but Max, I think you made a good good point on the radio which is like a team's not going to play like trade like 10 of its you know 26 players on the roster so there's a realistic limit to the amount of roster churn that you can have and the Royals have had quite a lot of that recently yeah and I think it's always important too to remember that there are two sides it takes two to tango right like it's easy for us to say and I've said it too like I think you know the Royals should package Scott Barlow and Whit Merrifield together and, and get it a bet uh, the, a number the sixth best prospect in the organization rather than the 13th and 18th but you know the other end of that is the Blue Jays or whatever team they're dealing with and maybe they don't want to give up the sixth best prospect in the organization for Scott Barlow and Whit Merrifield maybe they're, they'd rather give up the 13th best prospect for Whit Merrifield and the 18th best prospect for some other player um, so it's you know it kind of takes two uh, two teams to agree to that and we don't know what, what, what was offered and what was on the table uh, Jeremy what was kind of your impressions from how things went down at the trade deadline uh, first, just let me add on to the Whit Merrifield, uh, the trade to the Blue Jays. I I couldn't believe it when I saw the notification. I had to go uh, search the internet for confirmation because that just seemed uh, like too much schadenfreude. And uh, I also noticed today uh, I saw a, a report. I think it was from uh, comments made by the Blue Jays general manager, but it was somebody who worked for the Blue Jays saying that they they actually don't know if Whit Merrifield's going to get vaccinated still. Uh, Wait, which... which do you buy that? I mean, I it, the the guy at Bluebird Banter, who is the SB Nation site there, he said it's, it's just because if they say they had discussions with them, like is that tampering? But like the Royals wouldn't press tampering charges. They don't care if they talk to him yeah. about it. I would be very surprised if the Blue Jays made that deal without an understanding that he was going to get vaccinated. Yeah. Um, 
but at the same time, they're saying they don't. So I'm I'm very entertained by that idea. I maybe, maybe they don't like his home road split, and they don't, they don't want him playing any home games. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it functionally to to have a serious answer. I think on my part, rather than just brushing it off, I think um, it pushes him into a position where he has to. I haven't read this anywhere online, but um, if you can't play in Canada, you don't get money for it. Right? right, he's right. gonna play half of his games in Canada. If he doesn't get vaccinated, he's gonna lose half of his salary for the rest of the year, which is a lot more than just, uh, you know, fifty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars or whatever. You know, and, he would he would have lost for the series. He's gonna lose, you know, millions of like a couple million dollars here. Uh, that was also right before the All Star break, so it was like unpaid vacation extension. Yeah, he's he's gonna get it if just for the money. It's they put it they they honestly they don't care because they put into him into a situation where he has to say yes or else he loses millions of dollars. And, and he seemed like he was kind of open to it before, like when he. I mean, that's kind yeah. of why the Royals fans are so upset <laughs> with him. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll get, I'll get, I may get vaccinated for a contender like the Blue Jays, but not the not the Royals. But anyway, Jeremy, you're continue. Yeah. So um, I mostly agree with what Matthew said. Uh, you know, they they made some deals that they made more deals than I was scared they were going to. I was scared. I was getting real worried as we were getting towards the end of the day and they hadn't announced any deals. Um, but I also kind of feel like the only interesting deal they made that they that's not a deal that they kind of had to make and not a deal that like it was a bunch of trading a couple of guys that nobody cares about, like Emmanuel Rivera for Luke Weaver. Like no one's going to remember. That's not going to be a trivia question anytime soon. What is the, no one's going to talk about that trade. Um, and I think Andrew Benintendi had to go. I think Carlos Santana had to go. I think Whit Merrifield, because of his comments had to go. Um, and so they, they didn't trade anybody. The only trade that really, I, I think is kind of interesting is that, uh, is that, that draft pick trade. Um, and, the early results on that are great because uh, as Matthew was talking about the stats, so the stat line on the, on waters there is like, that's, that's kind of who you, the guy you're hoping to get when you draft that, when you use that draft pick and they have two other guys who or it was, it, it was one or two other guys. I can't remember that came with him uh, for that draft pick, but uh, so they, they could turn out to be a really good use of that draft pick much better than a lot of their other draft picks. Yeah, and I, I I did like they were they were kind of creative this year. I mean, you mentioned dra- trading the draft pick, which I didn't even think about because you know was, I knew they could tra- trade that pick, but um, you know it doesn't seem like something a lot of rebuilding teams would have done. And we'll see if it works out. But yeah, I think he's kind of trading almost one pick for three. I mean, you're getting three prospects who at least two of them are I think Waters and Ho- Andrew Hoffman are pretty pretty solid prospects. We'll see if C.J. Alexander turns into anything. Um, but, but they you know they also. You know, I went back and looked at you know, like Matthew said, I went back and looked at all their trade deadline deals over since Dayton Moore took over, really, and they haven't made a trade at the at the at the deadline when they were sellers, where they traded a guy that wasn't a free agent since 2011. Mike Aviles was the last time they traded a guy that had you know more than one year of club control left. So that's something they haven't done, and they were they were willing to do that this year. You mentioned Whit Merrifield and Cam Gallagher both have uh, more than one year of club control. Uh, so that that's at least, and that's something that's I think Sam McDowell, the star, kind of alluded to. He said, "Hey, don't be surprised that they just trade more than Andrew Benintendi, and, and in fact, they they end up being, making a lot of deals." Let's um let's look at the individual deals real real quick. Um, 
Uh, let's start with the Luke Weaver deal, because that was kind of a weird one. I don't think anyone saw that coming, Matthew. Uh, Luke Weaver, he's been a kind of fourth or fifth starter for the Diamondbacks uh, with the Cardinals before that. He was kind of the big part of the uh, Paul Goldschmidt deal, which looks terrible now in hindsight. Um, kind of, uh, He's a starter, but um, has, has battled a lot of injuries in his career. He's, he's been hurt this year, and he's been pitching out of the pen. Uh, I think is a way to get it, kind of get back, uh, get his feet wet again. And he's pitched pretty well out of the pen. He had one bad outing that kind of inflated his ERA. Uh, the Royals say he's going to pitch out of the pen this year. Then they'll reevaluate evaluate for next year. But he's only got one more year of club control. So what, what's what's your take on Luke Weaver? Is this a, a an addition to the pitching staff that will reap some benefits here? Yeah, I, I sort of think that they're rolling the dice a little bit here. I think Emmanuel Rivera was never going to be in the long-term uh, discussions uh, for them at third base. Um, he just, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have the defensive skills uh, for it. He's he's been below average defensively, um, and offensively he doesn't walk a lot. He doesn't hit for enough um, power average to really you know sort of make up for that. So. You know, he. I think Emmanuel Rivera could find himself in sort of a lefty masher sort of role long term, and if so, you know, great, good for him. Um, but I, I kind of would rather have Luke Luke Weaver, um, and I wish they would keep him in the pen. I mean, we saw it with the Orioles and Jorge Lopez, um, where Lopez has a very long track record of being a terrible pitcher, huge, very long track record of being awful at pitching. And then what happens is this year. He's really good. Somebody wants him. So I think that if you can get a guy who's a reliever um, and he can show even just a couple of months worth of, you know, really good performance, somebody is probably going to trade for him at the, de- at the deadline. So I think that's that's OK to sort of look at Luke Weaver as like a, you know, a potential trade for for next year's, you know, deadline. I think that that's probably going to happen. I wish they would keep him in the bullpen. I think that there's also a long history of um fourth or fifth starters who are mediocre and he can't quite get it, but they've got a starter's repertoire and you put him in the bullpen. The velocity comes up a couple ticks. We've seen that here in Kansas city, most famous, most famously with Wade Davis, but also with Lukochever who kind of gets overlooked a little bit. Um, you know, if they can't quite cut it, but they've got, you know, some good pitches, um, they, they get a little bit more stuff at it moving in the bullpen and they've got a little bit more to work with than some of the other bullpen guys, which kind of gives them an edge sometimes. Um, I, I would like to see him stay in the bullpen. I mean, if you look at his, his velocity um, this year, um, his average fastball velocity weavers is, is 94.3 miles an hour. Um, and that's the fastest of his career. Um, when he started um, 25 games in 2018, it was 93.8, so like half a mile an hour slower on average, which is uh, you know a pretty big deal uh, to bump up by half a mile per average. And some of his others were you know lower when he first broke into the big leagues in 2016, 2017. He was hovering at about 93, so that's you know about a one mile an hour tick above where he was at the beginning of his career. You know that that sounds like not a lot, but that really matters um, over you know a collection of pitches uh, that you're throwing. So I would like to see him stick in the bullpen, but you know, Royals might, they might need him to help start. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, that was kind of one, one thing I got from for their, their trade de- deals is that they got two guys, Luke Weaver and Max Castillo from the Blue Jays, who kind of are versatile and can do either role, which 
right now their rotation's pretty fluid. I mean, they've got kind of guys shuffling in and out, and they just need in- innings at this point. So it kind of makes sense to get some guys like that who can be versatile. You mentioned his, his fastball, and it has gone up a tick. Uh, Justin Choi at Fangraphs had a good review of this trade. He noted that the fastball has actually gotten worse in the pen, I think, because of the he's not getting as much uh, rise with it. But the changeup has improved. He, I think Choi has really liked his changeup. Uh, and but he says it also it's a fixable, uh, kind of a fixable thing. And you know, Cal Eldred, I think we all have faith that uh, Jeff, uh, that uh, Luke Weaver uh, is in good hands with Cal Eldred. Of course, I'm, my tongue is firmly in my cheek. Uh, Jeremy, what uh, what do you make of the the Luke Weaver uh, trade for Emmanuel Rivera? So I think uh, Emmanuel Rivera was just kind of a casualty of uh, they have a bunch of guys they really like on the infield uh, with. Uh, Michael, Michael Garcia, Michael Massey, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., Nicky Lopez, um, and even Hunter Dozier uh, is going to play some third base, especially uh, as they keep putting uh, MJ Melendez in right field more often. And with Nick Prado uh, needing to play in the outfield because Vinny Pasquatino's at first base or, uh, you know, just all the variations they've got there, there just wasn't room for uh emmanuel rivera which is actually kind of funny because everybody in the lineup is left-handed now it feels like and it almost seems like they could have used that righty but they decided that uh you know they gave him a couple shots he never really did anything to super impress uh and so they decided to move on and see if they could get a pitcher um he luke weaver kind of follows this pattern that they've had uh, especially the last few years, uh, starting with Wade Davis, where they traded for Wade Davis when he was a reliever and said, hey, I, we think we can make him a starter again. And then they couldn't. And they put him in the bullpen. And they did that with Jorge Lopez. They did that with uh, Mike Montgomery. They did that with Nate Carnes. Um, so this is the thing that they've done over and over and over again. You know, maybe they'll get lucky one of these times and, and they'll get that starter that they're looking for. Um, but I also think it's... Uh, it's oh gosh the word has escaped me i had it but it's gone uh but it's it's it looks bad for the team right now to be like yeah we need we need more innings pitched because all of these pitchers that we drafted that we've rested all of our hopes on since 2018 are not getting the job done at least not consistently uh so that's it's pretty it's a condemnation of of their draft and development of pitchers that they're still having to go out there and get more pitchers uh just to even fill in the innings because the is luke weaver going to turn into an ace probably not as uh, and like you said eating innings is is what he and max castillo might be able to do so gosh you'd think that you at least when you spend all that money drafting and developing all those pitchers you'd at least have guys who could eat innings yeah, I always kind of – maybe this is unfair there was, but I always try to judge their moves by what would the Rays do? And uh, Because I think the Rays are who they should emulate. They're a small market team who, who at least has a low payroll and has cons- consistent success. And there's no way in heck the, the Rays would pull this trade off. Like they would not acquire a pitcher who's already in his last uh, year – heading into his last year of arbitration uh, that's already making – is going to make four or five million dollars next year. Uh, it, they would not acquire a guy like that. They trade away guys like that. They find a guy off uh, that's the you know the forty first guy in an organization uh, that's not you know, they have to get rid of him on the forty man roster, and they grab that guy and, and turn him into a, a guy that throws ninety eight miles an hour with a crazy you know crazy sink on his fastball. Um, so in that respect, I don't <laughs> I don't get it. Like 
even if he kind of turns it around, he's like, what, uh, a, a nice relief pitcher that maybe you flip for a prospect at next year's deadline? Like, I, you know, he's not here for the long term. Um, and he hasn't had a great track record of success. If you need a reliever, then go get a reliever. There's guys that are on the waiver wire that, you know, you, you can find. I mean, they had Albert Abreu. I think I would feel I kind of feel better about Albert Abreu's chances of being a solid reliever next year than Luke Weaver. Um, so I, I don't know. And the the Emmanuel Rivera side of it, I, I agree. He, 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 he was worth getting a look at. And in this kind of season, you give shots to guys like Emmanuel Rivera. And if he pans out, great, you've got something. And if not, which is more often than not, then you can part ways with him, not to feel too badly about it. Um, but what was kind of interesting to me is that I don't feel like there's like a, like a, an obvious backup plan at third base. Like, I you know, Bobby Wood Jr. is playing third base today. They said that's part of that's because of his injury. Um, but I don't know if that's going to be something we see more regularly. Nicky Lopez has played some third base lately, which that I don't I don't know if he really has the kind of defensive chops and the bat to play third. Um, Hunter, does anyone want to see Hunter Dozier back at third? I don't really, but I don't know where else he fits in this lineup. So I thought maybe they'd acquire someone at the deadline to fill that position long-term, and they didn't. So maybe that's something they address this offseason. But uh, I don't know. It just got kind of interesting because I thought that deal was kind of a, a, a foreshadowing of other deals. Maybe they, you know, Weaver Weaver allows them to trade a reliever, or maybe they bring in a third baseman to replace Rivera, and it didn't. So um, maybe there's another shoe to drop this offseason. Let's move to the uh, Whit Merrifield deal, because I think that was the one that I'm in with you guys. I mean, I thought, at first I thought it was a joke. You know, like, come on, you got to be kidding me, guys. Whit Merrifield's going to Toronto. Um, but the Royals do get, they get Samad Taylor, uh, who apparently is injured, uh, but he's a second baseman outfielder. Uh, at the AAA level, uh, pretty good speed, um, a little bit of power, plays second base in outfield. And then Max Castillo, a, 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 a pitch, right-handed pitcher who's already at the big league level or has pitched at the big league level this year, can start or relieve. Uh, Matthew, do you have any thoughts on what the Royals were able to get for Whit Merrifield this year? Uh, I thought they did pretty good, honestly, um, because Whit Merrifield overall on the year hasn't been really been really great. Um I do think that um, – I'm with you that I kind of wish that the Royals um, would go for upside, even even in stuff like this, right? So the Royals have said that they really like trading for guys who are close to big league ready um, as opposed to, like, more talented but higher-risk guys in A ball. I wish they would go for that more often, you know. I, I – I think that Merrifield suitors were probably um, not going to offer something with a really high uh, upside, uh, but I, I, I kind of liked, um, you know, I, I liked what they got, you know, somebody like um, Taylor who has sort of hit um, pretty well all throughout his, his uh, career until, you know, getting injured in, in AAA. Um, you know, he was really good in AA last year. Um, he's one year older because, you know, the pandemic sort of makes everything one year older. So if you think of this as really like a guy who just turned 23, you know, that um, that's still pretty young. And that's a guy who might carve himself a role in the big league level. Um, so I, I like it um, in as much as one could like a trade two years late, but, you know, can't go back in time. Um, and also... I'm I'm really sad about this because it means I won't get to trade Whit Merrifield in the ESB Nation <laughs> offseason simulation anymore. Um, Whit Merrifield has been trading for like six consecutive years between Dugan and myself um, because that's the right move to do. 
Um, you can always acquire Royals, him and then trade him again. I could. I'm I, I'm thinking about acquiring him just for just for fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean it, that they were able to get what they did out of him. I think is pretty is pretty good considering that if you look at Mirfield's overall impact this year, um, you know he's hit 20% below league average. You know that's that's not good. Um, now he has been hitting well over the last couple of months, but, um, you know, those first, you know, that first month counts too. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't good in that month. And, and that's not really a great sign for him, especially considering his age. Yeah. It's, 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 I think for, for where he is now at his point is this point in his career, that it was a pretty good return. I mean, like Samad Taylor, it's a, it's a high floor, low ceiling deal, which isn't bad. I mean, I think Samad Taylor has a chance to be a role player, um, kind of a, I guess a poor man's Whit Merrifield, uh, a really poor man's Whit Merrifield, or who, who knows? Maybe he exceeds that expectation. And then Max, Max Castillo seems like a really versatile arm who could fill a number of roles and step in and pitch right away, which, frankly, they need some of that too. Uh, but, you know, your point about the timing of this, I mean, certainly you would like to have traded him a year or two ago, but, but Jeremy, were did the Royals have to trade him this summer just because of his comments? And the way he kind of riled the fan base, and it sounds like maybe even some pe- some members of his own team, or would they have been better off maybe holding on to him, trying to see if he because he was starting to come around a little bit this month, maybe seeing if he rebounds, trying to trade him maybe this off season or even next summer. Uh, how do you feel about the timing of a Whitmerfield trade? Um. So yeah, I've been kind of on record. Uh, I, I don't I don't remember where all I've said it, but I've said it repeatedly. Uh, that they had to trade Whit Merrifield. Um, I'm honestly surprised it took them until deadline day to do it because I feel like it would have sent a stronger... Uh, the reason I feel like they need to set, they needed to trade Whit Merrifield was to kind of tell the clubhouse, like, listen, this is not okay. Like, we're here... The Dayton Moore's thing has always been the team needs to go for every win they can get. And when you've got somebody like Whit Merrifield saying, you know, I don't care about these wins because they're not going to get us to the postseason, like, yes, that's reasonable, but that's not what the team, the team's ideals are. And so when you've got your team leader telling you that he doesn't buy into the team's culture, that's a problem. And if you want to save the clubhouse culture, I feel like you can't have that guy there anymore. Um, so I, I was honestly surprised it took them as long as it did to trade him and considering, uh, his age and his production this year and, and the fact that they kind of had to trade him, I am super impressed with what they got back. Uh, cause Castillo and Taylor both have a chance to be good. And, and that's almost more than I would expect to get for a 32, 33 year old Whit Merrifield, uh, who did not have a good year and could not stay with this team. Um, and it made it clear that he was not exactly uh, team-oriented in his thinking, um, because that goes for every team. Like, yeah, the Blue Jays are in the postseason chase, so he's going to be on board with them. But is he going to be on board with them next year? What if they're not playing as well? What's he going to do? Like, is that the guy you want to acquire? Um, so... I think they did a good job getting two guys who, and there's no prospect who's guaranteed. Uh, Bobby Witt isn't guaranteed to to turn into a superstar. Uh, we all think he will, but there's no guarantees, especially when it comes to prospects. And so, 
getting two guys who could turn into something that we're not already pretty sure are duds uh, is super impressive. Um, and, and I would just also like to go ahead and add that uh, I also agree it's trading way too late. And it's it's indicative of the Royals process that I still have a problem with this year where they look at Michael A. Taylor, they look at Hunter Dozier, they look at Scott Barlow, and they say, well, we've got them all under control for next year. We don't have to trade them now. And it's like, yeah, but they're not, they may not be as valuable next year. And so by not trading them, you set yourself up for, yeah, they're still here next year, but they're not doing anything for you. So uh, they did that with Jorge Soler. They've done that. It's, it's long history. Going back to Joaquin Soria, David DeJesus, of hanging on to guys for too long because, well, we don't have to trade them yet, so we're not going to. Yeah, I think a big part of trading is being able to accurately assess the value of your own talent and say, what what is what is my analysis of what the market sees my talent as? And the Royals, I think, in my opinion, and I don't, you know, we don't know what they're talking about with other teams, but we've heard whispers and, and, and illusions that they overvalue their own talent. They are not objective about assessing their own talent. And they're also not good at assessing when is the window to trade someone. And I'm glad yeah, you, you nailed it with Joaquin Soria, David DeJesus, Whit Merrifield, knowing, frankly, Josh Stamont. I mean, two years ago, team everyone was going gaga over him. He had a great series against the Yankees, throwing 100 miles an hour. He looked like he had his walk uh, issues under control. Jim Bowden is writing articles about how the Royals should trade Josh Stamont for these huge prospect calls, and everyone was like, no, no, we want to keep Josh Stamont. We're going to be pretty good in a couple of years. Uh, but that was probably the time to trade him, and, and since then he's been good, but he hasn't been great. And uh, you know, every every year he loses a little bit of value because he's close to free agency, uh, or he diminishes his in, in his skill level. And the same with Scott Barlow. I mean, they they've held on to him. He had a rough weekend in New York. His velocity has dropped a little bit. I mean, we know relievers are kind of a ticking time bomb. Eventually, their luck runs out. I mean, look at the Orioles. They took they had, they got three good months of Jorge Lopez, all star months of uh, Jorge Lopez, and even though they're kind of in it. They said, "Nope, we're gonna we're gonna flip him while we can before he turns into a pumpkin," and they were able to get four pitchers out of him. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the kind of the, my big takeaway from this trade deadline. I think the Royals did fine, but they just continually um, are unable to accurately kind of time the market so that they get a maximum value for the return for their players, and that's just a little frustrating. But uh, uh, let's let's move the Andrew Benintendi trade since we didn't get to it uh, before. Uh, they, he goes to the Yankees, uh, for which is funny, right before the, the Royals play in New York, uh, for three pitchers, Chandler, Champlain, TJ Sikama, and Beck Way. And Matthew, it seemed like a lot of Royals fans were disappointed by this a little bit, and I think a lot of that becomes is because Jeff Pass and other reporters were talking about how much interest there was for Andrew Benintendi and uh, you know that he, he would net a, a large haul. And, you know, he's a very good outfielder, uh, off to a really good year, you know, all-star talent level. Were you disappointed with the return they got for him, or do you think it was about right? I think it was about right. Um, I think the Royals kind of went for quantity over quality here, that they got three players. Um, and I think if they had maybe stuck to their guns and asked for two players of higher quality, I think nobody would really be talking about the return. Um, but I, th- I think the salient feature of this trade was that the Royals wanted um, more guys um, rather than having one, you know, a one for one trade or a, a one for two trade, they they wanted um, 
you know, they were okay with getting the quantity. Um, so I think that it looks a little worse um, because there's none of those guys who are just like, ah, oh, yeah, this guy's the headliner on him. I mean, I don't really know even know who's the headliner in that trade. Maybe Sikama, I guess, but, you know. Um, so I think that that is, you know, they were okay with the quantity and therefore it just doesn't seem as good of a return. I don't think, you know, it's impossible to know what the market was out was like out there. It's, it's just impossible to know. And weird things happen. Um, and trade deadlines when people are trying, you know, a bunch of different solutions. Um, so I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really that mad at them. Um, it is like, like Jeremy said earlier, it's kind of damning on them that they had to get more pitching because they talked about how much pitching they had, and all of a sudden they have the worst pitching staff in Major League Baseball, um, despite all of their hand-picked first and second-round players. Um, I think that's that's really the, the annoying part of it. Um, and someone wrote a wrote that this stuck in my my, my brain. I don't know who wrote it. Um, if it was on Twitter or FanGraphs or something, but they said basically. Um, the trajectory of the careers of those three pitchers just, um, you know, went down. Like it got worse <laughs> because the Royals are really bad at developing pitchers and the Yankees are really good at developing pitchers. So whatever array of outcomes those pitchers had, um, they are unequivocally worse with the Royals who have not shown that they can develop pitchers. Um, so that's kind of depressing if you're thinking, you know, from them, uh, I do like Sikama. Um, I think that, you know, I'm a big fan of guys who perform in, in the minor leagues. I like I will generally take someone who performs well over someone who has the tools or the pitches but who can't get it done because, you know, things are, you know, it's not as cut and dry. Um, so I, I like, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what he does in double A, but I, you know, I like him. I think that he might be. Um, either a back of the back of the rotation guy or, you know, a pretty decent, you know, reliever, electric reliever. So uh, the other two I'm kind of okay on, um, but, you know, mostly when it comes down to it, it's it's too bad that the Royals don't have the pitching talent. You can't develop the pitching talent. They have to require it. But also, you know, as far as the amount, the return for Benintendi, he's a two-month rental. Those guys don't get much return, you know. Like, like almost almost never um he doesn't have a lot of power he's fine he's he's pretty good he's he's a good hitter and you can play a good left field but that's not someone that you give up a bunch of talent for yeah i, I think you know he's an all-star but at the end of the day you're right it's it's a rental it's not a pitcher the pitchers are the ones that are going to get good prospect returns um and you're right he's not a big power hitter he's a good good offensive force but um certainly not a power hitter uh jeremy what was your reaction to the andrew benintendi trade so let me just pull back the curtain for uh, everyone for just a second on how I look at minor league players. The stats are so wild that it's hard to read into them. People tell me all kinds of different things about the tools. So the biggest thing I focus on when I'm looking at minor league players is what is their age and what level are they at? Because I feel like that gives me the best idea of uh, – of, oh, what are they likely to be like if you're 28 years old in double a you're probably not going anywhere um if you're 23 years old in triple a i you're probably gonna, at least going to make the big leagues are you going to be good who knows but you know your career your tr- career trajectory is much better um and i look at these pitchers that the royals got 
from the Yankees, and they are old for A ball. Um, and that bothers me. Uh, Beck Way, I believe, is the youngest one, and he is repeating high A ball at age 22. 22 is not awful for high A, but repeating the level is not great. Um, he turns 23 next month. <laughs> yeah. So that that gives me a really icky feeling about uh about all three of these pitchers and their likelihood of succeeding um and then you bring up like the yankees have a track record of helping pitchers succeed and this is what they've done with these three and <laughs> the royals have a track record of helping them fail and 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 i look at the i, I know he's only had one one outing but i'm looking at beckway's stats on fan graphs here and he had a 3.73 era uh for the for the yankees in their high a um, and he's got a 9.64 uh, as he uh, pitched one one game for the Royals high A right now. He gave up more runs than innings pitched. He he walked uh, 5.79 per nine. Like, it's one outing. Like, it doesn't mean anything. But that's not a great start either. And uh, I, I did not like that trade. I would not like that trade even if you told me almost no one was interested in Andrew Benintendi. I would have said, get one guy. Give me one guy I can have faith that he's got a shot. We were talking about Whit Merrifield. Those two guys, I feel like given their age and where they are in, in their careers, like they've got a shot. I look at these guys and I go, do they are they even going to make it to the big leagues? That's And if you can't even make it to the big leagues, you can't succeed in the big leagues, obviously. So that's, that's my big concern there is that Beckway is the only one who looks like he's even got a shot to me to really make an impact on a big league roster and not just end up being a four, a depth guy. Yeah. You told me that the Royals got three, a ball pitchers for Andrew Benintendi. I'd say, okay, there's some upside there. And then you tell me, Oh, they're actually all 23 or almost 23. I'd be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I do share your uh, concern there. I will say the uh, Sikama was a little different. I mean, he did miss all last year due to injury. I think he will rise quickly through the system because he is a former first-round pick, pretty good pedigree. Um, he's a lefty that can throw kind of lowish to mid, midish 90s with a kind of uh, deceptive delivery, a little bit of a deceptive delivery, a little bit of a different arm angle. I tend to like those kind of guys, and I think the fact that he is a lefty could get him to the big leagues as a reliever probably. Um, so I think there is some upside there. Um, Way is a guy that... Had trouble throwing strikes last year. He, he's gotten a lot better this year. We'll see if it if it if it holds. He, he certainly had some good velocity numbers, but again, like, is this the right organization to kind of make the tweaks necessary to turn him into unlock that talent again to the big leagues? I don't know. So, yeah, uh, the, the Royals are they've done such a great job of throwing strikes this year. They they surely <laughs> have got this. Well, and you think they kind of hedged their bets a little more, like they did with the the Braves trade. Um, getting Drew Wall, getting an outfielder, but also getting a pitcher uh, instead of kind of putting all their eggs in, in the pitching development basket with like they did with the Yankees trade. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it works out. I I, I didn't – I was always skeptical that they would get a huge haul for Benintendi, and this is – this kind of makes some sense, but I do a kind of, I do agree that I would have liked a little bit of different profile uh, of, of player than, than they got. But, uh, you know, they need pitching. You know, you need someone to, <laughs> on the mound to throw some innings, so – um, how about the guys they didn't trade? We, we talked a little bit about it. Um, but Matthew, you know, Scott Barlow is still a Royal. Josh Domont still a Royal. 
Uh, Michael A. Taylor, you know, there's some, some, some talk about him getting traded. And, you know, the Yankees did add, you know, we talked to the Yankees about Andrew Benintendi, but they also added a center fielder in Harrison Bader. Maybe, you know, where the Royals in on that. Um, Brad Keller, there was some, some discussion he might get traded, um, even though he's had kind of struggled the last two years. Uh, was there anyone you thought the Royals really should have moved? Should they have moved a couple of those guys? Uh, uh, what was the lost opportunity here? I would have liked to see one, at least one of those guys moved. I understand not moving all of those guys. I personally would have done this, but I am also not in Major League Baseball front office, maybe for good reason. Um, I, I would would have traded more of them. I would have been more active trading them. Um, but it doesn't really surprise me because the Royals have been um, very passive when it comes to trading and have only really been um, – you know, aggressive to use Piccolo's word there um, for players who are on expiring contracts. Like they trade those guys like clockwork, but if you, if they have an additional year of control, even one more year of control, they don't tend to trade those guys. So I thought it was, I think maybe a sign of Piccolo's influence in the front office that they were as aggressive as they were. I think when you think about it, you kind of have to grade the Royals on a skate on a you know on a curve a little bit, and for a Royals point of view, they were extremely aggressive. This you know, like you said, um, they hadn't traded anybody with multiple years of control since uh, Mike Avila's in 2011. That's for the Royals extremely aggressive, um, and so you kind of have to grade them a little bit on a curve there. The Royals uh, did more than I thought that they they might do, more than I feared that they might do, and even more than I predicted they they might do. I think if you held held a gun to my head and said, "Hey, are the Royals trading Whit Merrifield?" I would say, "No, they're probably not doing that." Uh, but they they did. Uh, so I think yeah, they should have traded some of those other guys. But it's not surprising that they didn't do that, um, even though they should have. And no, we don't know the sort of results of what those trades would have been. But I would have liked to see them be. More aggressive again to use Piccolo's move uh, to use Piccolo's word. Um, you know, teams can come to you and ask, "Oh, hey, what about this this player? I'm interested in this player." But if you really want to get someone moved, and if you're really thinking, you've got to shop players in front of multiple teams because multiple teams, uh, you know, the street runs two ways, right? If someone says to you, "Hey, I'm interested in this player." And you, as a team, are like, oh, I wasn't even consider trading him. That's interesting. The opposite is true as well, is that if you say to another team, hey, what about this player? Are you interested in that player? You might be able to get a deal, like, uh, you know, a conversation going when it might not have otherwise happened. And even if it doesn't end up as a trade, um, those kinds of conversations can lead to trades. So TLDR there is, I want the Royals to be aggressive that they haven't been it's not surprising but i thought they were pretty aggressive for the royals yeah i think i've mentioned this before but uh back in the 90s when the royals acquired jay bell and jeff king from the pirates like they made the deal for like joe rand and, and three guys that never did anything and the the indians at the time said we didn't even know he was available why didn't we would have offered way more you know the pirates didn't didn't shop those guys around and and so there's a lost opportunity there who knows what the, who the pirates could have gotten so I, yeah i feel like you need to shop your players around a little bit and you know like look we don't know exactly what the discussions were but we see who was traded right and we know that the like the blue jays who the royals were engaged with they acquired two relievers from the marlins and they gave up jordan groshans who's 
a former first-round pick, a former top 100 prospect, having a bad year, admittedly, but, um, you know, a guy that has some upside. Uh, would he have been available had the Royals offered, like, Scott Barlow and Taylor Clark or and, and Whit Merrifield or, you know, some sort of combination? We don't know. Maybe they don't like Scott Barlow. But um, I do feel like you do need to sell your players. Hey, look, maybe and, and maybe you have some concerns about Scott Barlow, but, you know, our scouts say this, you know, or you, would you like to see his medicals, you know, it's that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't know, uh, Jeremy, do you, do you think the Royals truly do not shop their players? And, and then do you, did you feel like there were some missed opportunities there that they could have uh, maybe traded some guys for some more prospects? Um, so we know what they say, right? And they, they – the, the phrase that's been bandied around that front office for as long as I can remember is we're always listening. Yeah. We're always listening, uh, which is a very passive way of approaching the trade deadline uh, and would seem to indicate that they're not shopping their guys out there. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You would think surely they're shopping at least some of them, but uh, what they've consistently said consistently for years is we're we're always listening um and if you're only listening then you're probably not getting your best deals uh i was very i wouldn't say very surprised i guess if it was another organization i would have i would be very surprised that they didn't trade michael a taylor and uh and and scott barlow michael a taylor uh is a gift right now for the royals or should have been they signed him to this two-year deal, and everyone went, really? That, that's what you want to do? You want to sign an aging center fielder for two years on a team that's either not going to compete or needs someone better at that position if they're going to? And they said, yeah, we're doing it. And then he was good this year. He's been he's been a, a well above average hitter. And like, oh, this is it's, it's like the it's like Jack trading for the magic beans, and then all of a sudden the giant beanstalk grows. Like, holy cow, it worked. How did that work? And then the and then they didn't trade him. And I, you know, maybe nobody made an offer. Maybe they were listening and nobody made an offer, but maybe and maybe they didn't shop him. But I look at Harrison Bader. You mentioned Harrison Bader earlier for Jordan Montgomery. Would I like to have Jordan Montgomery in Kansas City? Yes. I know I, I wrote the, the game thread for his game when he pitched against the Royals on Sunday. And I said I noted, like, yeah, the Yankees are pretty unhappy. Yankees fans are pretty unhappy with his performance. They want him gone. But uh he wouldn't be the best pitcher in the Royals rotation right now by ERA. Uh and they didn't train Michael they like do a similar deal, whatever. He would have been major league ready, would have helped their their pitching problems, but no, they don't do it. Um, and then the other, Scott Barlow, uh, like you said, he's kind of a ticking time bomb. He's been good for years. Is he going to be good next year? Who knows? Nobody knows. Uh, they managed to trade Wade Davis at kind of just the exact right time to get any value for him. The problem with the Wade Davis trade was that they kept literally everyone else and, and didn't improve the team by trading him. Uh, but they, you know, he even Wade Davis, the cyborg, stopped being good at some point. He, he turned into a pumpkin. They all do. Um, and, and with relievers, it's usually not, uh, it's not a, a slow degradation. It happens fast uh, for whatever reason. And and so, yeah, I I would have liked to at least see them trade those two guys. Uh, Stamont, you can hang on to, see if he can if he can rebound, gain some value, stay healthy for a little bit. 
Uh, Hunter Dozier has got too much money and too many years left on his contract to be worth a lot to a lot of teams. The, the Royals would have to eat some of that. They like his positional versatility and the way that they're playing their roster right now, they need that positional versatility because nobody knows where they're playing on a given night except for Salvador Perez, who will be the catcher, uh, except in a day game after a night game when he will be the DH. Everybody else, you could be anywhere on the field. You don't know. So having a Hunter Dozier who is subpar but can play first base, third base, right field, left field is a guy that helps you keep rotating everybody around. Uh, so those those didn't bother me as much. I know a lot of people really want rid of Dozier. They're like, uh, Dozier's got to be valuable to someone. And then the, 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 out of the other side of their mouth, I hate him. He sucks. And it's just like, <laughs> come on, guys, pick one. But yeah, so I, Michael A. Taylor, I feel like they really dropped the ball, lost an opportunity to turn a mistake into a success uh, because who knows if he's going to be any good next year. And and if he is, well, now he's only got a rental. He's not a he's not a one and a half year guy. He's a half year rental guy. And and I know they don't really have a center fielder. They have Waters, but they're not ready to promote him. And I'm you know let the let Sailor and his team have have him for a little bit longer. That's fine. But you you've got like a Nate Eaton or somebody who can. They thought enough of him to bring him up for Toronto. Uh, you've got a Brewer Hicklin who can fill in. You've got a, a Kyle Isbell who can fill in, you know, just because you're not going to win a lot of games this year anyway. Just just patch the hole, make the deal, get the pieces that you can get for a Michael A. Taylor and, and, and you know, worry about center field 2023 in the offseason because there's a long offseason for you to figure that out. Uh, and I, I guess that's just where I stand is that Michael A. Taylor was the biggest mistake in not trading him. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that they weren't able to get a deal for him. It feels like he'd be a really good role player right now for a, a contender, like a defense first guy who could hit a little bit, maybe a platoon situation, or maybe you know just a guy that's out there for defense uh, on a semi-regular basis. And you know, I don't know if he gets you Jordan Montgomery on his own, but maybe you package him with uh, Benintendi, or maybe you package him with um, a reliever, and and that and that uh, and the Yankees uh, are willing to part with Montgomery at that point. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm a little surprised they weren't able to get more for him. Hunter Dozier, yeah, he, there's just no market for him at this point. I, he hasn't been bad this year, but like, who's gonna pay? You know, was was he making like eight, nine million now for you know barely above average production and, and no position? Um, but and like you said, like the common refrain of the fan is, "This guy sucks. What can we get for him?" It's like, well, everyone else knows he's not that good either. So, uh, yeah. So it's there's, but there's some limited opportunities. I think Taylor definitely and. And really, they have some relief. I mean, Taylor Clark's been really solid this year. Um, he's not making much at all. We saw teams really aggressive with trading guys that were levers with several years of control left. Uh, so Taylor Clark could have some value. Jose Quas could have some value. I don't know. Like, he's pitched pretty well. And I know maybe you want to hold on to him, but he's, what, 28 already? Um, you know, who knows how long a side armor that relies on pinpoint control can really, you know, keep it together. So I, there were probably some opportunities out there that I, I feel like the Royals missed out on. And like like you guys, I think the Royals did okay, but I do kind of think they should have made – the really, there was obviously a market for relievers, and I, I kind of wish they had taken advantage of that. Let's take a quick there's break. There's always a market for relievers, always. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you've got a reliever, there's always somebody who will take him. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about what we're looking forward to from the Royals for the rest of this season. Well, the uh, Royals, now that the trade deadline's gone, they have a pretty young roster, at least in the lineup. Uh, the lineup on Wednesday in Chicago had six players age 25 or younger, so we're going to start seeing some glimpses of the future. 
Uh, what are you guys looking forward to for the rest of this season? Any any particular player or maybe something you're looking out from the team? Matthew, let's start with you. Um, I think that I am looking forward to kind of a vibe of like August 2011. So when Salvador Perez uh, debuted – in 2011, uh, which was in August 2011. Uh, he was a catcher, right? You had Eric Hosmer, who was a rookie at first base. At second base, you had Johnny Giovatella, also a rookie. You had Alcides Escobar at shortstop. That was in his second year, if I remember correctly, um, in the bigs. Um, then you had Mike Moustakas at third base, you know, sort of all rookies. You had Alex Gordon, who was, you know, the elders, kind of the elder statesman. You know, he's in left field. Um, and you had, uh, you know, th- that sort of young core that Royals fans can turn on and go, okay, when the Royals are good, again, I'm going to be watching these guys play. Um, I think that's what I'm looking most forward to. I The one thing that I would like to see is I would like to see Nate Eaton up in the big leagues. Um, I think he should should be here also. Um, that's one of the reasons why I would have also liked them to trade, you know, uh, I know there's not much of a market for Dozier, but if you eat salary, there's a market for anything, right? Like uh, the, the Red Sox acquired Eric Codmer, you know. <laughs> um, so there was a trade out there, um, you know, had the Royals ate, you know, some salary, for Dozier, um, you know, I, w- I would have liked to see Nate Eaton, you know, maybe play Nate Eaton play third base um, and go with Eaton at third, Witt at short, um, Massey at second. We have um, Vinny at first and uh, MJ uh, catcher, you know, and Prado in left field. You know, that's Isabel and Redfield. That's a, that's a pretty interesting lineup. Now they're going to have their struggles, of course. But that's a really interesting lineup, and that, and even if they're losing, it's not like earlier in the year when, let's say the Royals are losing, and Bobby Witt just went up to bat, and they're losing seven to four or seven to two or whatever it is, and they're just they're not going to win, and Witt just went up to bat, and you're like, okay, it's going to be you know an entire cycle around before I see somebody come up to bat who I'm interested in seeing bat. Once you have enough of those guys, then every inning you have at least one of those guys that's like, oh, cool. What's Nate Eaton going to do? You know, what's Massey going to do? As opposed to at the beginning of the year when it's like, okay, we have four guys over 30. You know, you could just turn off the game and turn it back on. And there was really only wit that you were really interested in seeing and maybe Perez because Perez is a freak in a good way. Um, But now – what we have is we have a bunch of position players who we can all sort of watch grow at the same time. So to answer the question fully, I would, what they're doing right now is, and what they fielded uh, today, uh, Wednesday, the third is what I, you know, uh, am looking forward to see basically the same vibe as over the Toronto series. That was fun, you know? Um, and we, and we can, we can get there again. Um, the Royals just have to sort of emphasize it. I, I think if you call up Nate Eaton, start playing him more, we're, we're pretty much there. And then just watch the position players and hope that the Royals make a change on the pitching side. I'm a little bit more hopeful that um, with a new ownership, maybe breathing down their necks a little bit more, there are some, some rumors um, that uh, – I read something on, on FanGraphs. It said that there are rumors that John Sherman is hovering over the uh, – 
ops group. Um, and you don't say that unless there's a little bit of, you know, you know, John Sherman just sort of standing over the shoulders of some of these guys being like, what's going on? This is not as good as it said you said it would. And the really low hanging fruit there is to, in the offseason, revamp the pitching structure, right? So go out, find some new pitching coaches, revamp that whole thing, because what they have is not working. I mean, if the Royals do that, really, I, I'm pretty optimistic about next year. But, of course, that's a pretty big if, right? The Royals have to overhaul their pitching in the offseason, and they have to commit to having a young team. If they just go and they sign, you know, a couple of, I don't know, Mike Jacobs types, and, you know, Omar Infante is just to, like, plug in there and, and, and soak up um, playing time from some of the young minor leaguers. It's it's uh, or some of the younger players. They're not minor leaguers anymore. Then I'll, then I'll be disappointed. But until then, you know, this is going to be a much more interesting, a much more enjoyable second half of the year, even if they don't win as many games. Speaking of which, you're bringing back old veterans. Uh, breaking news, Alcides Escobar has been released. Uh, he's available. <laughs> so they could always bring Where's him your back. third baseman, man? That's what I'm looking forward to in the, uh, the rest of the season. <laughs> Jeremy, what are you looking forward to from the Royals the rest of the season? Um, so to be perfectly honest, I, I have a tendency to pick a guy who's not doing so hot and just cheer my heart out for him. Uh, I did this with Mike Moustakis in 2014. Uh, I, I did it with Ryan O'Hearn. I've done it with Hunter Dozier. This year I, I'm picking Vinny Pascantino has not had a great debut, uh, for the Royals. He's hitting the ball hard. But he, he's not getting the numbers, and people are already tired of him. They're like, "Oh, he's O'Hearn, demote him, fire him, whatever, send him, send him to the moon." They <laughs> just don't want him playing, and so he's going to be my guy that I'm going to just stare at all year and be like, "Art, did you did you get a hit yet? Did you get a hit yet?" Um, and, and just get irrationally excited for every single he hits. Um, but as, as Matthew said, like having the young guys in the lineup is just great. I think I wrote at some point. I don't remember when or why this came up, but I said, you know, uh, Whit Merrifield has a three-hit day. Eh, that's all right. That's pretty cool, I guess. Uh, but if uh, Michael Massey has a three-hit day, oh, whoa, is is he turning into something? Is he going to be a guy? Is he going to really succeed in the future? And, uh, you know, there's there's that hope. Like, okay, Whit Merrifield, if he gets a hit, well, he, he's almost done. Like, it's fine. But when these young guys get hits, even when they lose, when these young guys do something good, when a Brady Singer has a great start, like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, Brady Singer. When Zach Greinke has a great start, everyone's like, okay, yeah, thanks, Zach. It's nice to have you back. It's good pitching, good good day. But when Brady Singer does it, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's electrifying. How many more E-words can I come up with? Uh, but, yeah, so – that, that's what I'm looking forward to. I, it's, it feels like the rebuild has finally arrived despite all the Royals' efforts. Finally, they're playing young guys. Are they going to succeed? I don't know. But this is what we saw happen in Chicago, what we've seen happen in Detroit, what we've seen happen in Minnesota. And we've obviously seen sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, maybe sometimes they don't all work. Uh, sometimes not enough of them work out. But at least you're, you're, you're moving in a forward direction, whereas if you keep signing these veterans, and I, I will, I will do something unspeakable if they sign an Omar Infante, Mike Jacobs type guy, and demote people uh, next year to be like, yeah, we gotta have that veteran presence. Uh, no, don't do that. We don't need any more veteran presence. We got, we got some veteran presence. Vic Pascantino's been here for a couple months. Veteran presence is fine. Uh, so, 
that that's what I'm looking forward to is just like, okay, now the rebuild is here. Now let's see, can these guys do it? Can they figure it out? Like, is 2023 going to be a good season? Probably not. But it has a lot better shot of being a good season with the Royals playing all these young kids and letting them try to try to figure it out than it does signing uh, a handful more washed up veterans. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's this is where we need to go. I'm also looking forward to Cal Eldred getting fired. That's that's an exciting thing. I hope to see sometime in the near future. Yeah, uh, I, we'll we'll see about that because I, what I'm looking forward to is that the the pitching is starting to come is starting to turn the corner, and I wonder if that's going to save Cal Eldred's job a little bit. I mean, you want the pitchers to improve, but at the same time, it's like, oh, is this going to keep Cal Eldred in his job for longer? Um, but I, I, you know, I think Brady Singer has has been uh, impressive his last couple times out. It's mixed results today in Chicago, but um, he's he's given you innings. Daniel Lynch seems like he's he's pitched a little bit better lately. Chris Bub- even Chris Bubich looks like he's pitched a little bit better. I think since the start of June, all three of them have ERAs uh, around or under four. So I think that's a, an encouraging sign. They're starting to figure things out a little bit. I think they're finding a couple decent relievers they can count on. Um, so I think the pitching will get better, and I think. Uh, I think that's really I mean, the, the rebuild really hinges on a lot of that. I mean, Bobby Wood Jr. can become a super duper star, but if the pitching stinks, it's just going to be like the old days when we had Carlos Beltran and a bad pitching staff, and the Royals didn't win any games back then either. So I really feel like the pitching needs to take, take a step forward, and I think we're starting to see some signs of that. And the other thing I'm looking forward is um, how do the pieces fit together? Like, like I said, we don't really know who's going to play third base now. Um, we don't know. How Nick Prado and Vinny Pascantino fit at first base and DH. Where does MJ Melendez end up? Is he going to catch? Is he going to play right field? Does he move to third? Um, can Kyle Isbell cut it in center field? So there's a lot of questions, I think, of where do you guys end up? Is Nicky Lopez a utility player at this point? Um, and so I'm kind of curious to see where they put guys um, on the field and how the pieces kind of fit. And, you know, they don't need to figure everything out this year. The offseason, like you said, they'll make some moves as well. Um, but I do kind of – I want to see – you know, Michael Massey, does he play some third base after playing uh, gold glove second base at the minor league level? We'll see. So that's something to look forward to down the stretch. Well, let's wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. Matthew, do you want to kick it off this week? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I get in, uh, I, l- I love to read, um, but I don't always read a lot. Um, consistently, I will get in spurts while I will have books that I read. Or, you know, if I have a book that I'm sort of struggling to get through, that will kind of torpedo my reading um, for a while. Um, what I really should do in those cases is abandoning, abandon it, but I'm not very good at that. Um, even though I say that you should, um, it's it's kind of tricky. So um, one of the books that I've read that is absolutely the opposite of that, that has been really good, um, is a book by Andy Weir. So Andy Weir is the author of The Martian, um, which is his most famous work. That's the one that got made into a, a movie um, with, uh, with with Matt. Well, why can I say Matt Prado? My brain is just all kind of screwed up. Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. Oh, my goodness. Matt <laughs> Prado. That's not even close. I'm going to blame it on the COVID, guys. Um, so uh, Matt Damon um, was the star of The Martian. Uh, he also wrote a couple years ago a book called Artemis. Um, and I thought that that was going to get a movie adaptation. Um, and it's I guess it still may. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, so yeah, it, it says that. Yeah, so Artemis should be also getting a film adaptation um, as well at some point. Um, but he had, his most recent book is a book called Project Hail Mary. Um, and I read it um, in the car on the ride home from... 
uh, Colorado on Monday, and then on Tuesday I had a PTO uh, the whole day, so I finished the book. So I finished it basically at two days of reading. It's really very good. Um, it's basically a combination. In fact, the elevator pitch of it is it's a combination of The Martian um, with elements of um, the movie Arrival, as well as a novel, which is one of my favorite books, called Spin. Um, and so basically, you know what? I'm not even I'm not even going to tell you anything about it. I, I read it totally, uh, totally blind. Um, I didn't know what at all was going to happen. Um, so I would recommend you do the same. It's about um, well, the the very basic thing is it's about a guy who wakes up um, and he has amnesia and he finds out that he's on an, an astronaut on a mission, but he doesn't know what the mission is. Um, and it's it's very good. I'd recommend it. Um, it's got a lot of sciencey stuff in it, but you can kind of skip over some of the math if you if you're not really interested in it. Um, Weir is just very uh, very thorough. Um, he is um, you know. He's a programmer by occupation, so he knows a lot of. Um, or be, before he was a novelist, he was a programmer. So, um, you know, a guy with a lot of sort of math chops that you can kind of skim over. But if you're really interested in math, you know all of the math and you know all the science in there is correct, um, which is pretty cool. Like in terms of sci-fi, um, his his sci-fi is really you know really grounded and really rooted. Um, that's 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 pretty fun to read, and sometimes and certainly in this case. Um, easier to read than some other stuff that's really out there because you you know basically what's going on you know the rules of everything um it's a really good book and i would recommend it um pretty easy to read um i don't know if i would say it's my favorite one i'd still of of his he's only he only has three um i'd have to think on that but it's very good all of his books are very good jeremy what do you have for us this week all right, so uh, I believe that on a previous uh, Royals Review Radio, I recommended the Disney Plus TV show uh, Gravity Falls. Uh, and this week I'm going to recommend another Disney Plus TV show cartoon uh, called The Owl House, which is uh, by a different creator, though the creator of Gravity Falls does voice a main character in Owl House. Um, he voiced like half the characters in Gravity Falls. It was great, um, but uh, basically, it's a similar similar in concept where the Gravity Falls has these two twelve year old twins that fall into these supernatural sh- shenanigans in Gravity Falls, Oregon. Uh, this one has a fifteen year old girl named Luz uh, who gets trapped in an alternate dimension where there are witches and demons and all kinds of good stuff like that. And uh, despite that description, it's actually uh, super wholesome, super fun. The all, the the three main characters uh, just love each other and form kind of a found family um, that's just really sweet. And uh, it's I I don't know a better way to describe it other than adorable. Every time I watch it, it makes me happy. I have I'm currently in the uh, second season. I believe there's three seasons out right now, um, and I have to really restrict myself. Uh, I, I will only allow myself to watch two episodes uh, a night because otherwise I would possibly stay up the entire night and just watch the whole series because um, I just love it that much. 
Uh, so that's going to be my recommendation. Even if you uh, have found yourself turned off by uh, American animation, um, it I mean, obviously it's aimed at kids, but it is a 15-year-old, so it's not aimed at, like, little kids. Um, and it deals with, like, some teenager stuff, which teenager stuff applies to adults sometimes, too. Uh, and it's, it's like I said, it's just really wholesome and adorable, and I, I just love watching the characters work together to solve their problems as opposed to a lot of TV shows I feel like that uh, that have the characters caused the problems by having relationship issues. Well, my Royals review review this week is uh, the legendary broadcaster Vince Scully passed away today, this week at age ninety four, and uh, for many baseball fans, Vin was the voice of baseball. If there's a soundtrack to the game, it is Vin Scully's voice. And I mean, just think about. <laughs> His, his career spanned from 1950 to 2016. He broadcast games for Jackie Robinson, for Sandy Koufax, for uh, all the way up to Clayton Kershaw and, and, and the, the more recent teams. Um, he has broadcast uh, many, of the, many of the most legendary games in baseball history. And there's an article at MLB.com right now called Here, Vin Scully's Most Legendary Calls, uh, where you can listen to a lot of his great calls. Among them, you'll remember the 1988 Kirk Gibson home run in the World Series. Um, he also called S- Sandy Koufax's perfect game. He called Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series. Uh, he called Bo Jackson's home run in the 1989 All-Star game. Uh, and people forget he also did football. He called the the, the catch, Joe Montana's touchdown to Dwight Clark. Um, so he's, he's, he's done it all. He's seen it all. Uh, and he did it all with class, with humility. He, he treated every game like it was a gift, like baseball was was something he got to 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 watch rather than something he had to watch um so he really was uh just a master of of broadcasting and a a true icon and legend in baseball and he will be sorely missed and so i urge you if you if you miss vin like i do uh please take a walk down memory lane and check out here hear vin scully's most legendary calls at mlb.com well, that will do it for us this week. It's good to be back. I appreciate uh, Jeremy and Matthew for coming on again, and uh, we'll get back to podcasting on a regular basis. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.